My husband is having an affair with your wife. I don't think we should talk about it. Unless you're prepared to kill them. Oh, man. Oh, God. 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 Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian monkey man himself, the Peter. Monkey man, rape ape, George Eastman ape, big ape, wild child himself in the flesh, as always. But you're not in the flesh, you're in the voice. But whatever, we're not going to argue about that. (laughs) And Cecil should be back next week, but sitting in this week for a special retrospective that we're doing this week is our friend filmmaker Darren Orange. Hey, I'm always here for the best of the best. This is exciting, and it was a lot of fun watching these films, so I'm glad to participate and be here. Enjoy this strange retrospective, everyone. Was it better than when we made you do the Amityville or Howling retrospectives? Both epically better. I don't, Amityville's probably one of the most insane ones. I still miss that lamp. I want that lamp. Well, there's so many uh, sequels in that series, and they're all different from the other. Like it's that that it really is an insane franchise. But we're not talking about the Amityville franchise tonight. We're going to look at American Zoetrope, which is a really strange independent film company that a lot of people are probably going to be shocked is still around. They had a really big impact, and then they stopped, but they didn't. We'll get into that. If you guys want to help out the show, though, you guys want a little something for your quarantine or your stay-at-home orders, you know, prolapse something, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, most of the American Zoetrope stuff is going to be out there. But if you're going to look for some of the weirder stuff out there, then you might need a VPN, a virtual private network. In that case, you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. That will bring you over to Nord's site, NordVPN. You'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.79 a month for Nord's protection, where they will encode your data, they will protect your data, They'll be able, you'll be able to get around region locking. It's, it's really... It's really something you need nowadays on the internet. So 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. So that said, American Zoetrope was one of the biggest independent film companies out there. They they predate Troma, they predate Empire, they predate Canon, they predate New Line. American Zoetrope is a is a really strange beast in that they were an independent production company that worked for the big studios. Instead of being their own thing, American Zoetrope was sort of an independent that went with everybody. They made movies 
movies for Fox. They made movies for Paramount, for Warner Brothers, for Universal, etc. They had a really, really big impact for a while, and then they just stopped having an impact. They didn't stop making movies, they stopped having an impact. Were you familiar with American Zoetrope as a company before I asked you to watch some of these movies? No, I had I had no idea uh, that it even existed as an independent thing. I was aware of most of the movies, probably half of them, but I didn't. I wasn't aware of the other half. So yeah, I, I had no clue. You would have thought they were just studio movies that happened to be made. You had no idea there was a studio, a kind of a ghost studio, if you will, behind them. Well, I mean, I had seen the movies that they had put out, but I was not aware of the company itself. Well, the company itself, and we're kind of accidentally going to be doing a Francis Ford Coppola retrospective tonight because it's Francis Ford Coppola's company, and so a lot of the movies, not well, every... yeah, they put out uh, there was Apocalypse Now, Bram Stoker's Dracula, that kind of stuff. Well, actually, probably seventy-five percent of Coppola's output was from Zoetrope because it's his company, <laughs> so he's gonna you know be making stuff. So it, we're we're not doing a Francis Ford Coppola retrospective, but we kind of will be in a weird way. Now we're not going to look at every film American Zoetrope put out. They also, they didn't always make the films that they put out, because one of the things, the ideals that Coppola set out for, for American Zoetrope, was this is a place for artists. This is where you make your movie. No studio interference. This is your film. This is your vision. This is art. And we're going to use my connections within Hollywood to get major studios to release these. Well, yeah, because he also put out uh, some of George Lucas's earlier stuff. Like, you got American Graffiti in there. You got THX 1138. So it wasn't just Coppola's stuff, a grounds for up what he considered to be like up and coming filmmakers as well. That that's what it was supposed to be. It's not yeah. that's not exactly what it ended up being, but we'll get <laughs> into that. So American yeah. Zoetrope came about because all these USC film school alums like George Lucas, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, John Milius, and Francis Ford Coppola, they were sick of trying to make a movie. They couldn't get their movies made. They had minor contacts within the studio system. For instance, like George Lucas won a contest where he would be able to direct an animated cartoon at Warner Brothers, and the day he went to go claim his prize was the day Warner Brothers shut down their animation department. Oh, God. And, you know, things like that. So they had minor connections in the studio system. So these are really unique, original filmmakers who can't get anywhere. Yeah. And and, and Francis Ford Coppola was literally told, because he basically made American Zoetrope as a you to his film school teacher who told him he was talentless and that he should drop out of school and use his tuition for something meaningful this is why you should never listen to your teachers that's actually something that comes up a lot you hear that jim morrison was told he was worthless and he'd never amount to anything he went and formed the doors harlan ellison was told he'd never be a writer and he should stop and i'm quoting batting your wings against the window uselessly what did yeah. harlan ellison because you you hear this story Became a lot one of the most like profound like science fiction authors ever. Paul Thomas Anderson literally quit film school when his film school teacher told him he was talentless. So Same with it, Kevin Smith. Kevin it, Smith quit Kevin film Smith school like halfway too. through. Yes, exactly. It's always funny when you hear the teachers like, you have no future, and then they are the ones with no future. But yeah, so, they're the ones uh, teaching while the others do. Fresh original stuff. Everything they think everyone else is making isn't good enough to be successful. They got their own presupposed thoughts on what should be successful and what shouldn't be based upon what came yesterday well yeah right. you, you never know um you never know what's gonna sell 
this was the thing. Hollywood at this time was not learning its lesson. You gotta remember, this is like 1967, this is 1968, this is right when everything changed. Now, I know we've talked New Hollywood before, but I just need to, I need to give a quick refresher because this is very important to what's about to happen. You had old Hollywood, you had the studio system, you still had, like, actual Warner Brothers running Warner Brothers, you know, the people who formed the company, and that this is the old Hollywood system. Then this weirdo little independent film comes out. Coppola wasn't involved in this, but this little independent film called Easy Rider came out. Everything changed. Easy Rider became not only the highest grossing movie of the year... But Easy Rider also went on to just destroy the old Hollywood system. After Easy Rider, nobody wanted to go see Julie Andrews musicals anymore. (laughs) Nobody was going to see these Cleopatras and things like that anymore. The studio system was sort of stuck. They were, what just happened? That's what Coppola saw was, this is the future. These are the kind yes. of movies we need to make. Hollywood still took a couple of years to catch up. He he formed Zoetrope. He and George Lucas kind of, they made this movie called The Rain People that nobody wanted. So technically that's the first American Zoetrope film, but not really because the company didn't technically exist yet. The first movie that Zoetrope was made to make was George Lucas's THX 1138. Or they always say, they, George Lucas always calls it 1138. I guess you can say it either way. No one wanted this. George Lucas had Final Cut, according to Coppola. Warner Brothers bought it and then didn't want it. Warner Brothers wanted to re-edit it. They wanted to change the movie around. They wanted the ending at the beginning so the whole movie could be framed as a flashback because they wanted the freakier stuff with all the mutants and stuff all at the beginning of the movie to catch people's eye. In the end, George Lucas lost. He had to cut five minutes out of it, and he was not happy, which, of course, then years later, he went and wrecked it with CGI anyway. THX was sort of a harbinger of what was about to happen. The ideals of American Zoetrope were, we're going to make art within the studio system. The studio system still said, no, you're not. (laughs) I do say 1138. I think that it just flows better. Overall, I think the movie was kind of like... It's been discussed. It feels way early. It feels like it's an immature concept at the time. It wasn't necessarily something that people were looking for. It's certainly today it feels more fresh. So watching it with fresh eyes and seeing it all, I think it makes a lot more sense today. That being said, could a current day audience get it? I don't know. They might it might find things they disagree with in it, but I think that it definitely works better as a current film. I think it would be one that could actually conceptually the ideas were there to develop bigger story, a bigger world, perhaps. I mean, it sets the groundwork for what he would come and do later. Definitely was ambitious, uh, maybe to almost its fault. That's my takeaway. I definitely think it was kind of a cornerstone of what science fiction was going to become. It felt very modern, even for its time. I felt like Robert Duvall did a great job in the movie. I love Sid Haggs like, in it. Sid Haggs in it, too. And you've got the, the weird, like, cops with, like, the silver faces, like, very T-1000-looking dudes that, you know, would end up becoming a thing later on in the 90s. I, I do think that it was a science fiction film that ended up inspiring a lot of different science fiction filmmakers. I think it's, uh, I honestly think that movie's a classic. And, of course, George Lucas would go and wreck it later by adding CGI and then, of course, pulling the original version off of the shelves. You could only get his CGI version, but that's that's later George Lucas. At this point, this is super creative George Lucas. This is also a telling thing about Zoetrope. THX was made in 1969. 
It was released in 1971. They were Mm. fighting with Warner Brothers for two straight years over this, and then the movie lost tons of money. So Warner Brothers was immediately not happy with the deal. In fact, at one point, they told Coppola they were going to sue him to get the advance back that they gave him to make THX 1138 because they were so unhappy with what he delivered. And that'll play into what happens next. But at this point, American Zoetrope is a literal studio. He bought a studio in San Francisco. He overspent. He sold his house to be able to buy the newest equipment, the newest editing equipment, the newest sound mixing equipment, all from Europe. He he literally had equipment that was more advanced than what Hollywood was using. And he mortgaged his entire future on THX, which, as we discussed, didn't exactly work. <laughs> oh, Josh, just to mention the craziness, that it does show that the films, the quality, the picture quality, the images, and some of the stuff that it it has it's the quality of what they produce imagery and cinematography is beautiful and it stands yeah. up today sharp and crisp and pretty amazing kind of remarkable considering how old the films actually are some of them at this point the studio obviously after the warner brothers debacle with thx they were in serious financial straits and they just came online and they were in serious financial straits so coppola was was handed this book by mario puzo called the godfather and he hated it He really hated it. (laughs) Now, they had been trying to make The Godfather Hollywood had for a couple of years at this point. Every director in Hollywood had turned this thing down. Coppola literally only made the movie because the paycheck was big enough it could save Zoetrope. And we all know what happened with The Godfather then. So, in a weird way, the movie he didn't want to make, which turns out to be the biggest financial blockbuster of all time at this point, remember Jaws is still three years away, turns out to be the godsend that they needed, and that really, because remember, THX didn't do well. Godfather is what put Zoetrope on the map. All of a sudden, the studios were like, all past sins are forgiven. Francis, what you got for us? I mean, it's it really shows. It's it's indicative of a lot of Hollywood directors and a lot of filmmakers in general where they're not even necessarily a fan of the source material that they're working on and they end up knocking it out of the park, coming out with a classic. Like, to me, it's really funny that Coppola wasn't even, like, a fan of The Godfather and he ends up creating not only one of the, the most classic films of Hollywood, but, like, a franchise that has been embedded in terms of like classic Hollywood films in general. Like that's pretty crazy. So I think Godfather definitely set the groundwork for later, like you mentioned, blockbusters, thing like that. But in regards to Coppola in general, I think that it definitely set him up for what would be kind of the future. He he was definitely someone who ironically was perfect to kind of to helm that because a lot of the films that he supports and, and, and they're more character studies, overall world building and things like that. Something I think that he and his company's done generally very well. So it's almost makes complete sense that Godfather, he may not have liked it, but he certainly with his take and his look at it brought it to be this great thing and kind of changed cinema or began the change in cinema with Godfather. Mm-hmm. Well, and then he would also pick up a cue from Roger Corman at this point. Because one of the things people forget about with Roger Corman is that, you know, he would make these movies like Humanoids from the Deep and, you know, things like that. But he would also release weird art films from Europe that didn't also have distribution. American Zoetrope also did that. He imported Ludwig, Requiem for a Virgin King by, oh boy, Hans-Jürgen Seiderberg. And I guarantee I mispronounced that. 
And so it, it was. It was films like that, and he he would release a lot of these. He would release Kurosawa movies later on, things like that. He he would release a lot of weird European foreign language films under Zoetrope, but those were only he was the distributor, not the they didn't make those. So the next film that he made was again George Lucas. Everything is cyclical. It's the 1970s now. All the nostalgia exploitation is usually on a 20 to 25 year loop. So the right. 50s were about to come back in. So American Graffiti was made, and and again George Lucas was he did not have Final Cut, which is which is why George Lucas finally flipped out and was like, you know what, I'm moving over to Fox. And Zoetrope did not make Star Wars because he was frustrated that Francis told him you were going to have creative control. That was what Zoetrope was about. Then every film George Lucas is making the studios are taking away from him so he's starting to get really pissed off not like at Francis they remain friends but don't think I can work with you anymore kind of thing (laughs) like I'm leaving Zoetrope you are not delivering on what you promised but then American Graffiti comes out whether George loved it or not Again, major hit, influenced the totality of pop culture. Zoetrope is on a huge high right now. You're coming off The Godfather, and then you've got American Graffiti the next year, and then the year after that, you've got Godfather Part Two, which is even more successful than the first yeah. film. So One Zoetrope, of the biggest uh, sequel sequel successes ever. Yes, and sequels were not a normal thing at this point. So no. We- we're talking Zoetrope is so powerful right now. So American Graffiti definitely set the groundwork for a lot of the whole character eras. Like the number of people that we follow in story strands were more or less in American Graffiti. You know, having I never watched it before until just recently. I uh, thought was kind of amazing how you could have almost a movie about nothing, but like all the characters understand all their problems and all their issues and kind of appreciate how they all come to their finishing conclusion over the course of that evening or night or whatnot. It was kind of amazing. Godfather Part 2, yeah, I mean, as far as a follow-up goes, it's pretty remarkable. I, I don't know how easy that was to pull off, or if it was just accidental. I think that maybe it's almost better that they kind of did it fluidly. Um, obviously, the later sequels weren't, were kind of a little bit more questionable, and I think that today it kind of shows that if you just kind of make something more natural, you can make a great sequel. If you make it forced, it doesn't work so well. So it feels like it was a natural continuation. It made sense, and I think that's why it was successful. It was a story that was meant to continue in the way that it did. Like you felt like after after the first one, there was more to be told about these characters and about these people and about the story. Like it made sense to do a part two, and that's definitely why the second one is like as revered as it is. Except at what it wasn't at the time. It made a ton of money. The critics all loved Godfather. Oh. And they ha- they hated Godfather Part Two, calling oh, it fuck needless. The critics. <laughs> fuck the critics. But then also in '74, Coppola, besides Godfather Two, he had a hell of a year. He also made The Conversation. The Conversation is a movie that I'm actually shocked is more prescient today in the spying era. And you know, you might be bugged. Someone might be bugging your webcam. The Conversation is more prescient now than it was in 1974. But then they went a couple of years because Coppola was trying to get this movie off the ground. Now, this is after Star Wars. George Lucas was kind of coming back to the company. He was going to direct this movie, this war film John Milius wrote. It was based on a novel. And 
It was called Apocalypse Now. And eventually, <laughs> George Lucas left this movie. Zoetrope released a couple of other films, like Hitler, a film from Germany, but by Siderberg again. They released oh another God. perfumed nightmare. You know, So they were still releasing, to, to keep the coffers filled, they were still releasing weird foreign films at this point. So we're up to 1979. Apocalypse Now. We could make a whole episode on Apocalypse Now and everything that went wrong making that movie. But Apocalypse Now eventually got made. Coppola directed it, besides everything that could go wrong going wrong on the film. And then Apocalypse Now comes out, and again, it's one of the biggest movies of all time. Now, personally, I am going to get crap for this, and I don't care. I do not like any of the director's cuts. The theatrical cut of Apocalypse Now, to me, works the best. This whole redo thing he did, and then he did, like, a final cut, the Ridley Scott and Blade Runner, I don't like either of those. I think all of these extra scenes bog the movie down. I'm on record. Apocalypse Now, the theatrical cut, is the cut to watch. This is one of the few times I disagree with the director. Your director's cut is bloated and pointless. I actually agree. I always felt like the theatrical cut was, like, fine. Like, nothing needed to be done with it. It was actually a very good and cohesive cut of the film and didn't didn't really need any alterations. In my situation, I, w- I went back and I did watch the final cut, but then I went back and then reviewed all the edits and changes because I'm that's the kind of filmmaker type of person I am, and uh, went back and re-watched the parts and segments that were removed in the other cuts and watched how they segued from edit to edit. Granted, there's scenes that have seconds cut here and there so i can't really do that but know that it makes much of a difference with the added footage it certainly makes it more it feels like you're dragging on a lot longer but you almost feel worse for the characters because you feel like they've gone through more so there's a kind of a balancing act i agree that that, that leaner does seem better but still the longer cut does seem to make you feel a bit more for the characters so it's a kind of it's a hit or miss. It depends upon your what you're going for, what you're expecting. Shorter cut makes it more like an action film. The longer cut makes it more like a drama. I, I, just, I think that's a good point. I, I don't just whatever yeah whatever you get out of it. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I I just think that the theatrical cut works better. It flows better. It's paced better, and we don't need all of those extra scenes. I mean, okay, do they enhance some of the characters? Yes. Are they needed? No. It's it's like a soap. It becomes almost feeling like you're watching a soap opera in Air Force of War movie. It's kind of being like, all right, we're here still. We're staring at stuff. Things that are kind of not happening, but we're learning something about what the character's going through. But you're right. I don't know it's necessary. It's why it feels more dramatic. Well, and Apocalypse Now kind of turned out to be one of those accidental classics. Because, like I said, everything that could go wrong on this film went wrong with it. Turned out to be this classic. Like like the, the iconic opening sequence with the napalm being dropped on the trees with the doors, the end playing, was accidental. Because <laughs> they the way it's playing so beautifully in slow motion with the explosions, the editing suite that they had was malfunctioning and playing it wrong. And all of a sudden they went, holy crap, that looks perfect. That wasn't meant to look like that. <laughs> and, and then even you'll notice that this, the version of the doors, the end that they use is not on any album cut. Because when they contacted the record company, the record company accidentally sent them the demo. Oh, the unmixed demo. So that version of the end is even incredibly unique and accidental, and it works even more perfect than the album version does. 
So Apocalypse mm. Now is a weird accidental classic. Maybe at some point <laughs> we should look at accidental classics because, like I said, Apocalypse Now, everything that could go wrong went wrong on this movie and it still turned out fantastic. Maybe that's... It's still, yeah, it's still considered to be one of like the biggest movies ever. Exactly. Maybe that's due to Coppola or maybe he was just riding it. I don't know. But again, mm. this propped up American Zoetrope. In that same year, in 1979, they produced, but Coppola did not direct, The Black Stallion. Another huge hit. Then in 1980, release a couple of more foreign films, a Godard film, a Kurosawa film. And then in 1982, they made The Escape Artist, another couple of Godard movies. And they made one of the weirder movies that they that they ever made that no one seems to remember. Have either of you seen The Gray Fox? No. No. <laughs> Okay, remember how in Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, the whole thing is about men out of time. Not in, not in a time travel sort of way, but The Wild Bunch is about, you've got these older these older people, they're old gunfighters from the Wild West, but now civilization is moving in. Cars are coming in. Law is coming in. And they don't have a place in the world anymore because this isn't their world anymore. Like, uh, like throw, throwback. Yeah, like, where do we fit in this? And the Gray Fox is the same thing. An old stagecoach robber who spent 33 years in prison is released into the early 1900s. I think it takes place in, like, 1901 or 1902. He has no place, so he decides to get his old band together, and they want to start robbing trains now. And... It's a weird movie about men out of time. I love that kind of thing. Science fiction or time travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, 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 there's no there's no time travel. It's just, you know, he spent 33 years in prison and now civilization is here and he doesn't know what to it's do. More, it's more just uh, a people that are out of touch still trying to live their life like as if it was in the past kind of thing. 1982 would be the year that destroyed New Hollywood because I brought up New Hollywood earlier. New Hollywood was this this whole thing. You know, Zoetrope was big in it, but it wasn't just a Zoetrope thing. But it was this whole, the studios, no, we can't make films the way we used to anymore. So we're just going to let these people do whatever they want. Okay, you have the George Lucases, the Francis Ford Coppolas, the Scorseses, the Spielbergs. You guys get to make your movie. We will release it. And that was going good for a while because they were bringing in all this money. So the studios were like, we don't need to meddle with the films because they're working great on their own. And then Coppola, maybe due to hubris, maybe just a little bit too much into his own head, the bomb that destroyed all of New Hollywood. One from the heart. A musical mm. love story set against the backdrop of Las Vegas, which, by the way, they couldn't afford to shoot in Las Vegas, so they went, I think it was Ohio, maybe Indiana, and built Las Vegas there, because that was still cheaper than actually shooting in Las Vegas. One from the heart, it's a gorgeous movie, looks amazing, I love mm. the transitions, it's got a fantastic cast with Frederick Forrest as the unlikely lead, but Holy crap, did One from the Heart not work. Incredibly expensive film that no one went to go see. That was the end of New Hollywood, and if what happened the next year hadn't doesn't happen, Zoetrope was on its last legs at this point. Does that, all, that also kind of goes with uh, what happened with, like, Heaven's Gate as well, too. Just a, just two years earlier. Yeah, Heaven's Gate yeah. completely put their production company out of business. And again, that well, was yeah, part of New Hollywood. Like, like this massively, massively over-budgeted film and just did not hit. And that's what happened with One from the Heart. 
But then in 1983, Coppola stages his comeback. He adapts this weird little book called The Outsiders. And again, monster hit, critical darling, and then the same year makes Rumblefish and then releases The Black Stallion Returns. So 1983 was a very good year for American Zoetrope. It certainly was. Uh, I mean, The Outsiders, I think, is fantastic. I did not like Rumblefish as much. The Outsiders and Rumblefish are sort of following in the footsteps of American Graffiti and that 50s throwback thing. I think Matt Dillon did a really good job in, um, in Rumblefish. See, Rumblefish just didn't hit with me. And again, we're going experimental with it being in black and white. Rumblefish just didn't hit me, but The Outsiders, I think, yeah, is a classic. I I have no problem with that. Just, I don't know, maybe I got to see Rumblefish again. I've seen it twice. Saw it once when it debuted on HBO, and then again on VHS in the 90s, and neither time did it do a damn thing for me. And Rumblefish part, I've only seen parts of it at this point. I don't, I'd have to watch the whole thing, but it, it seems like it's a little, got some disjointed things that I don't quite follow without seeing the whole picture, to be honest. So I think you got to watch the whole thing from my experience. I don't know how useful that is, but it seems like it was definitely different. The Outsiders, on the other hand, it's a classic film. Everyone should watch it, basically. Um, but it all harkens back to the same group mentality, the group of characters that are together. Again, he's great. At ensemble casts, just managing that, supporting that, whether as a producer or as a director, and, and The Outsiders just falls right in the line with that same thing. It's almost like he, he should have figured out what works for him at this point and works for his production company and kind of built the rest of it off of that. But some of the experimental things seem to be more questionable, I guess. At this point, again, I, I'm going to call it hubris. I think he thinks, even though one from the heart, you know, bombed hard, that he can do no wrong because he keeps the budgets keep getting bigger and bigger. The productions keep getting more and more and more extravagant to the point where you knew a collapse was imminent, that there was no way this wasn't going to collapse in upon itself. It just kept getting too big. And the Cotton Club from 1984 would be a perfect example of this. This is, again, it's an old retro style Vegas mob thriller, although it's very very colorful. Again, it, it feels bloated. It, it feels like Coppola would have what we would later attribute to James Cameron. The man just keeps spending money. He thinks you just keep spending money, it makes the movie better. Except it <laughs> doesn't. Well, to complement that theory too, like it, the, the, his biggest fault, he kept putting mo- too much money into experimental ideas in some case. Really, the experimental idea or the the films that are more radical or not expected to be like the main cream of the crop should have been budgeted for with a true low independent dollar. They might have worked at that. But when you give a film that's questionable or too creative a big budget, it almost becomes unsuccessful by default. And then in 1985, he would release a couple of more foreign films. And then he would release... Peggy Sue Got Married, which is, he doesn't deal, Coppola doesn't deal with science fiction much. This is a time travel story. You you, you start to see a little bit of something starting to creep in around now, and that is nepotism. Coppola would hire lots of his family members, and this becomes a big problem later on. A lot of people forget that Nicolas Cage is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. And so he hires his nephew to star in this movie. And it's sort of a feel-good, it's again a throwback to the 1950s. A lot of his movies are about dealing with going back, looking back. You look at almost everything Coppola has put out, it's about looking back. 
Think about it. American Graffiti, Looking Back, The Godfather, Period Piece, Godfather Part 2, Period Piece, Apocalypse Now, Looking Back, Black Stallion, Period Piece, Gray Fox, Looking Back, One from the Heart, Looking Back, Outsiders and Rumblefish, Looking Back, The Cotton Club, Looking Back, Peggy Sue Got Married, Looking Back. His thing is about nostalgia and it tends to work but it's a theme that you can really beat to death and he kind of does that I think I'm not a fan of Peggy Sue Got Married I totally understand why people like it I just didn't like this one he would release Norman Mailer's he would produce and release Norman Mailer's Tough Guys Don't Dance the movie that's gone down in history for some of the worst performances by mainstream oh my god is that the oh no oh god oh Oh, no oh Oh, god God. yes That is tough guys don't dance. But then that same <laughs> but then that same year, Coppola made Gardens of Stone, a really powerful Vietnam movie. And it's a movie not about Vietnam. It's about going to Vietnam. What what it what it how it affects the families left behind, the girlfriends, the wives, the brothers, the mothers. Gardens of Stone is a movie nobody talks about and is a really powerful film. But again, looking back. But then he also produced Barbette Schroeder's Barfly for Canon Films. Barfly is an amazing movie that more people need to see. It's loosely based on the life of Charles Bukowski. Mm-hmm. And this is what, I would say this is what a zoetrope movie would be to most people uh, that's not a Coppola-directed film. Barfly is fantastic. And Mickey Rourke, this is a star-making turn for him. Like Frank Stallone is good in that one. It's such an like, it's he, such like, a fantastic movie. Being yeah, about Bukowski, the dialogue just pops, doesn't it? So good. Like every everybody that's in that movie absolutely shines. From Mickey Rourke, who's obviously the star in the film, and he's he's incredible in it. But yeah, even like Frank Stallone, who was usually doing like you know horror in Beverly Hills or whatever those like straight to video movies he was making, even he is fantastic in this film and has really great lines to work with, really great dialogue, very fantastic directing that we get from that one. Barfly is a fantastic character-driven film. Yeah, I gotta say that the funniest part was seeing Cannon's name in front of it. Kind of blew my mind, <laughs> but neither here nor there. It's Again, not a typical so canon film, is it? No, no, it's totally it's not. It's <laughs> like what canon? What happened to them? How did? What? Oh, craziness! But yeah, I'm just. What disappoints me most about it, having seen the characters, is you really wish you could see get like Mickey work back into these fantastic character roles. I just don't think that he could do it anymore. Like Barfly movies like that. That's the kind of stuff that he really should have kept being in because God, what an actor, like what a talent. Then he would make another looking back film, Tucker, the man in his dream with Jeff Bridges. He would release some more weird foreign films, the movie he didn't want to make Godfather part three. And here's where the rest of his career is sort of going to be cemented. He could, he could not leave nepotism alone. So Sofia Coppola would go on to she'd later make Lost in Translation for him. She would become an Oscar-winning. She eventually winning... became like a more of a solid director. She's oh, never yeah. a great actor. 
actress, but she was a horrendous. Very good. That's the point. She's a horrendous actress, and she's one of the <laughs> main characters in this. She yeah. destroys this movie, and he, <laughs> due to the hubris and nepotism, it was just unable to see how bad of an actress his daughter was all he could see was through his eyes that's my little girl and it's like yeah but she's terrible francis Well, but haven't we seen before where someone acts and maybe they shouldn't be acting, they should be directing, and we that kind of seems to be the case in the situation. They kind of get thrown in the wrong position, and they kind of evolve over time, but still nepotism, it seems like. Well, nepotism becomes a problem very quickly, but then Godfather Part 3 was not the hit that the first two were, because really, the second film wrapped it up. Godfather Part 3 is the very definition of an unnecessary sequel. A lot of Part 3s and, like, everything are unnecessary sequels that's like usually when a um when a series when a movie when a movie property shits the bed it tends to be the third film well i mean i'm not saying there's nothing of value in it it has great scenes great performances in it woefully unnecessary the, the whole movie doesn't good. need it's to not exist it's a good movie i mean if, if if we can admit that like terminator 3 and robocop 3 are bad surely we can admit that godfather 3 is bad but then he would go and make Francis Ford Coppola presents Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I think is an amazing movie. The visuals in this are so unique. The visuals in this prove what Zoetrope was supposed to be. Because no, to me, Fran- Stoker's Dracula, that movie, that is one of my all-time favorite films. Like I saw I it seven times in the theater, Peter. It's so good. This is the kind of film you can't imagine a studio making. This is what Zoetrope was meant to do. What a 90s Zoetrope movie should have been. I just don't know why it wasn't. Like, it really feels like what the vision put forth for the movie was, and they executed it, and they did it. And it's got some of the best visuals. It's got some of the best, like, visual aesthetics. Like, just that opening, that, like, Vlad the Impaler opening is so good the the casting even if coppola talked about how like he cast keanu reeves and he heard his like british accent while they were filming and he was like oh god this is a lot worse than uh than it was during the reading but he couldn't fire him because he thought keanu reeves was too nice of a guy so they kept him on for the movie and even even still like he still ended up being I think like a pretty solid choice for the film. He's definitely memorable in it. And then, you know, you've got Anthony Hopkins in there. You've got all these other great actors. You've got all these fantastic visual aesthetics and effects that still up to this day, you know, Gary Oldman as Dracula himself is so good. It, it, it's a movie that I've been watching since I was, uh, since I was a little kid on, on VHS and it scared the hell out of me. It's particularly like the uh, werewolf segment, but I still go back and I still watch it and rewatch it to this day. And it, it is, in my opinion, like, I think it's, I honestly think it's Coppola's finest work. Dracula in general, it's aged amazingly well. I think the one thing that stood out to me is when you take a kind of a, I, I give, I'll give, I'll give Coppola a lot of credit. I mean, being someone who's very creative, very talented, something that is essentially something that's been done in the past repeatedly. The original take, the fresh take, the fresh look at it, the revitalization, it's like it's something that, that shouldn't be able to have a second wind and be fresh and original and 
good again. Like he just nailed it. And I think it says a lot about his talent. It takes a lot of genius to take something that's been done so many times in different ways, really, in the past hundred years at that point, approximately, or close to it, and be able to make it to where people love it again. I think he, he nailed it. The performances, the casting, I mean, it's probably happenstance at that point in time, right? I mean, a lot of those people were just kind of beginning, just had a few opportunities to, to show themselves before that point. So to get the cast he got and to bring out them, bring out their their shine and make them really essentially rock in those those roles is pretty amazing. Again, just being able to take something that's old, make it new again, and bring it back to an audience is is something that we should never take for granted in a creative oh, talent. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like he he definitely what Darren's saying here, absolutely. He took something that has been done to death, which is the story of Dracula, which is the Bram Stoker tale of Dracula pretty much made it in in my opinion and i think in terms of like if you look at it in pop culture it's been parodied on the simpsons everywhere like it really has become one of the most iconic interpretations of that story like it's amazing well and unfortunately he seemed to think history may repeat itself because then two years later he didn't direct but he produced kenneth Branagh's version of mary shelley's frankenstein thinking we could do this the same way we did dracula is that the robert de niro one yes I did not like this movie at all. I did not one bit. I really liked it. I thought that was a really good movie. You're allowed to, but I did not. I thought De Niro did a really great job as Frankenstein's monster. I really I really dug that version of the story. Well, then he would produce a few other movies like The Secret Garden, Don Juan DeMarco with Johnny Depp, My Family, and then Francis would come back with Jack in 1996, a movie that is offensively bad. I'm not, like, offended by anything in the movie. This is not a Francis Ford Coppola movie. This is not an American Zoetrope movie. This is a mainstream Hollywood film. This does not feel like something Zoetrope should have been involved in with Jack. Was that the, um... Robin Williams is a giant Robin kid. Robin Williams, where he's like got accelerated aging or something. Yes, yep. and, and he's a giant. Oh, kid I like that movie. <laughs> Bill, Bill Cosby is his psychiatrist and everything. Yes, I did not. Jack is a bad movie, and Francis Ford Coppola oh, should feel bad for having it's made a it. Sweet film. It's 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 a very tender movie. It did seem out of place for them, but nothing was seemed actually wrong with the movie. It just seemed like something that they wouldn't make because it focused. It doesn't really feel on like a zoetrope film, does it? Well, it was a very weird movie for sure, even for like its time, even for now. Like it's a strange premise, but I really like Robin Williams in it. Yeah, agreed. Robin Williams was phenomenal. Just be able to play the kid, like it's just be able to have that dynamic. There's no one yeah. better to play the role. Honestly, there's there's one thing I really liked about it, and this is going to sound weird knowing what we know now, and that's Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby as the sort of put upon, as the sort of put upon, always at the edge of his rope sort of psychiatrist for Robin Williams. Cosby's actually really good in this. Maybe its biggest issue is it didn't know what its audience was because it felt like a very mature film that was trying to appeal to kids and adults at the same time. It's not like it ends particularly happy. That's no, true. it doesn't. It's a very tragic film. It deals with a lot of very serious issues and a lot of very weird stuff. I definitely don't know who they were marketing it to, but for whatever reason, when I saw it, when I did, when it came out, I I really liked it. I, I, I think I just took to it just because I like Robin Williams. Well, and then Francis Ford Coppola would go to make The Rainmaker, the John Grisham book, and then he would make the weird, well, he would produce the weird 
movie Buddy, the one about the the gorilla living living as like a manservant in the house, which really does not feel like Zodra. <laughs> you, you, you get a feeling like a movie like Buddy is a, we need to keep the coffers filled. But then we start getting into the problematic era. This starts in 1999. Things be- get, get problematic because one, you've got the nepotism. Because, okay, mm. from 1999 to current, Zoetrope has produced 27 films. Eight of those are not made by someone with the last name Coppola. <laughs> Ramon Coppola, Sofia Coppola, Eleanor Coppola, Gia Coppola, Ramon Coppola. Basically, by this point, with one exception that I'm going to get to, he made a couple films for, like, he allowed Robert De Niro to make The Good Shepherd, he allowed Robert Duvall to make Assassination Tango, and a couple of others, but this basically became... Zoetrope just became a production company where my kids and my wife and my cousins and my nephews can make all of their movies. At this so point, it, it, uh, it ironically became the mafia. <laughs> sort of. But but the, the, the weird thing is, this is also where I'm going to take a political stand here. Coppola decided Victor Salva is a guy worth knowing and a guy oh worth boy. getting. This is powder, I'm guessing we're talking about. Nope. Jeepers Creepers and Jeepers Creepers 2 were American oh. Zoetrope productions because Francis Ford Coppola formed a, a friendship with Victor Salva for some reason and he well, is. No one he's knew on that record. He was, uh, no one knew he was a literal pedophile at this time. Yes, they did. This is after powder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, th- this is after his release from prison. It's oh, well known. On. Coppola is on record. I'm not. I'm not quoting, but basically saying that Victor Selva is a guy who made a few mistakes. I'm sorry, oh, ra- raping God. a 13 year old repeated 13 year old boy repeatedly is not a few mistakes. So no, Fuck I have sake. a very hard stance. I lost all respect for Francis Ford Coppola when he well, said. See, I didn't know any of this. Well, like when I was younger, Jeepers Creepers kind of came out. I had no idea who Victor Selva was, um, and I did. I I did like the first Jeepers Creepers, but then you watch the, even watching the second one before I even knew any of like his, uh, his cases, like what had happened, what he had done. That movie felt when you're watching creepy, but not, not a horror movie way. um, it, It has a vibe of like boy rape. And then you find out like what he did. And it's like, Everybody that works with him knows about it. You know, even Rose McGowan, who is asked about him, it's like, okay, well, you take this grandstanding stance on, you know, Harvey Weinstein, but what about Victor Salva? Oh, he was nice to me. Like, God damn, the the guy literally raped little boys and made pornos of it. Really? We're just going to ignore that? that shit and i i still to this day have not seen jeepers creepers 3 like i i refuse refuse to that's the point we're at this point where coppola doesn't care anymore he's just letting Mm. his kids make movies at the company and i think this pedophile released from prison making his movies filled with shirtless teenage boys i think this is a good idea to me this is where i don't know if it's hubris i don't know if it's just nepotism or coppola just didn't care i will never forgive him for rele- for helping Victor Salva salvage his movie career. Okay, he wants to allow all of his family members to make movies fine. Because there's some really good stuff by other Coppolas here. Like CQ from 2001 by Ramon Coppola is amazing. Lost in Translation from Sofia Coppola. Amazing movies. I just don't understand the Victor Salva thing or the... Eh, you think... Mer- you honestly think Lost in Translation was an amazing movie? I loved Lost in Translation. Well, if, if nothing else, it got back to the root, it felt like, but it was still nepotism. They were making movies 
that were like giving opportunities to people, but it was just for his family at that point, which I think felt that movie felt odd to me. Like it was Bill Murray midlife crisis mode, banging pink haired Scarlett Johansson karaoke singer like that. I don't know. That one didn't didn't sit right with me. In this, like I said, CQ is the one I think most people should go and look for. And no, it's not available on any of the streaming services, so that's why you might need Nord. But CQ Mm. from 2001, everything an American zoetrope movie should have been. Everyone needs to know Dragonfly. I don't, my brain, I can't get it on my head. I just watched it two days ago. My brain is just stuck on Dragonfly on repeat, so brilliant metaphor of like three different levels of things going on it's deep complicated weird but somewhat rewarding zane in it was hilarious billy zane was just like what's he doing in this it just felt strange in some way (laughs) darren since you just watched this two days ago would you agree that cq is kind of getting back to what zoetrope was always meant to be i agree however there's still nepotism involved with it which irritates me but yes it is going that direction but we i want to see other directors have opportunities like that very strange movie no one would ever green light that but yes it's going back the same way i want more moon rockets at the moment now and what's what, video diaries to tell a story like there's a lot of depth to that it just seems like it's unusual today it's a very complicated film because of its layers there's so much going on at different points it's kind of trying to follow it all and figure out everything it's interesting you can almost watch it more than once and probably pick up on details you missed the first time that's my takeaway i love that weird red gun thing it's just so strange that like freezes people or whatever i don't know you gotta watch it it's great movie don't miss it it's original i'll say that much and then the last one i want to talk about is coppola's final directing role to date and that is 2011's twixt which is one of the most bizarre You really thought this was going to work, huh, Francis? Twixt? (laughs) Uh, Okay, on paper, I kind of see what he was going for. On paper, Twixt should work. And it just doesn't. Darren, did you watch this one? Did you see Twixt? I I watched parts of it. I had hard, I had to skip through some of it. I, I my mind started to explode with the horribly bad ADR dialogue. I don't know if you can pick up on that from it, yes. but the dialogue ADR is just like so horrendously bad, and like the foley in the background is like so cheaply done. Like why why is why is Kilmer in this? What what's like what's happening? Like I don't <laughs> and, like. And, and this is not this is not charismatic Kilmer. This is fat bloated. I don't want to be here. I'm only here for the paycheck, Kilmer. Yes, he seems very. Yeah, this was kind of before like, or, or after because he had done the Sultan Sea, which he's still a good in. Oh, he's fantastic in that. But that, yeah, that, that's great. not a Zoetrope still film. Classic, uh, classic Kilmer in that. And then yeah, he uh, got a bit bloated and then started believing that all of his uh, illnesses could be cured by God. And look at him now. <laughs> and he had a ponytail. And a ponytail, yes. Twixt also seems to, I don't know this factually, there's a Sin City element to the fantasy sequences. I don't know, Robert Rodriguez pulled those off perfect in Sin City. Coppola, not so well in this. It was hard to tell what they were going for with it. It just felt like it. they should have established it earlier in the storytelling somehow. It felt like it was kind of jarring when they finally got to that point. And, you know, Zoetrope also made a couple of TV series. They did the Outsiders TV series for Fox in 1990. And then they did the First Wave TV series for the Sci-Fi Channel in, I think it was 2003. And Zoetrope, like I said, at this point, uh, the the last five movies they've released are all directed by someone with the last name Coppola. This Mm. is just a Coppola company now. 
What do you think the legacy of American Zoetrope is? Do you think it's good ideas that didn't work out, or good philosophy that didn't work out, or just desperation and just, oh, screw it, let my kids direct movies? I think what it is was an honest attempt at bringing movies to the fold that not a lot of other people would see, given the other circumstances of the industry at the time. I do think it was a genuine effort, and I do think we got some really good movies out of it. Overall, I see it as a very positive thing, even if it even if there were were a couple of uh, speed bumps and uh, roadblocks along the way, you know, with trying to incorporate Victor Selva and stuff like that, like, e- even with that. There's still movies I really like, like obviously Godfather, Rumblefish, Jack, movies like that. A, a lot of movies that I consider to be some of my favorites. So I, I think Zoetrope is uh, overall a positive experience. Zoetrope, I think in general, has been a success story. I mean, it's revolutionized some of the ideas in the film industry. It's helped push a lot of creative people forward, given a lot of opportunities. I mean, without it existing, a lot of things we see that we enjoy and think of as staples of cinema may not be there. You help give people a lot of creative ideas for what they could do, even those that weren't the ones actually making the films that would come after and be inspired by. Um, and even today, um, you know, one of my favorite films, the ones I've watched out of this the past like two weeks now has been The Rainmaker, which we didn't really talk about. But there's some phenomenal films out there that really you should watch as many of them as you can and get your own impression. Some of them will be hit or miss, but individuals, let alone a studio's entire existence is perfect. So for them to get there. More than two-thirds, three-quarters of the time, I think that makes them a staple in, in history, and they should be regarded as one of the, the best not-main studio studios ever. I just would like him to actually allow... Because remember, the ideal was this is where a filmmaker can come make art. And, and one thing that he does keep up, most of the movies that they've released post-1999 have lost money. So most of them cost six, seven, eight million dollars and make four hundred or six hundred thousand at the box office. So he is technically keeping up the philosophy that this is where you can make art within the studio system, but they're all last named Coppola, so I'm guessing that there are tax issues involved too. <laughs> I don't know if like you or I could go and make an American Zoetrope movie unless we married one of the Coppolas. <laughs> no, uh we're probably more qualified for trauma. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. <laughs> I think there's some great movies in there. I think there's a lot of movies uh, more people should check out if they haven't seen them. Definitely some of my favorites. I mean, I obviously have already stated I love the Bram Stoker's Dracula film. I I may be in the minority, but I very much enjoyed Jack. I love The Outsiders. I love Rumblefish. I do think that it's it's a company that more people should check out. And you probably have seen a lot of their movies without even realizing that it was a Coppola-owned company, the, the Zoetrope thing. Like, it, it is kind of a... There, there is a lot of movies in there that have become mainstream and have become like successes and blockbusters and, and people probably don't even realize what company they come from. So definitely, definitely look into it. Yeah, I think that, the, that what you should really do is to grab yourself a bottle of Coppola wine and sit down and start watching the films with someone and enjoy them. Because if you haven't seen them and haven't gone out there and watched them yet, you might might have, you might not. But you should really check out their filmography and watch everything. You know, anything you can find online and you can rent, buy, whatever. Go get it and watch it and enjoy it. I have to say that if you haven't seen them, you're missing a huge part of the uh, the history of filmmaking at this point. It's really the past 50-ish years now they've been making films and mm-hmm. they've had huge impacts on everything. So that said, I think American Zoetrope is a company that started off with great ideals, 
and then due to financial pressures, kind of lost their way, and then the president of the company kind of went crazy after a while. That's the way I see it. With all that said, where can people find the Peter if they wish to contact him? Find me on Twitter at Cinematica. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist. Tube The Cinemasochist, of course, on 12onbeyond.com with other fine programming on Patreon if you want to donate anything. And where can people find Darren if they would wish to? Uh, you can find me on IMDb, Darren Orange, on Twitter at Darren underscore Orange, or on YouTube, Darren Orange. And if you want to check out my feature-length film, Inspectors, you can find it streaming on Amazon Prime. So hit me up. Let me know what you think. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. And go see CQ. More people need to see that. You know the day destroys the night Night divides the day Try to run, try to hide Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side Break on through to the other side, yeah We chased our pleasures here Dug our treasures there Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.